right, we are going to get started tonight, and we have Brother uh, Esposito here. He's going to get us started. I think this is the third chapter, right? Page eight. We had to we had to flip it a little. Why we have an education ministry? We're getting started a few minutes late, so go a little longer, okay? Don't want to take you. Education is very important, and godly education is important, and so that's one of our ministries. Brother Joseph, why don't you come? All right. Thank you, Pastor. We are in. We are on page eight. If you turn there, give us a minute there, and then, good. We are. We are up now. I will say this. I know that Pastor has been preaching against using screens on the platform to preach from recently, right? And, um, okay, televisions, let me take this off here. Um, but we are not preaching from the screen, so to say. We're using it as a supplemental material, have some quotes and stuff up there that I think will help us to follow along and get more material in uh, during this time. So we'll, we'll follow along there a little bit. But preaching from the book tonight, and of course, secondly, by the way, these are sharp. I love how pastor does things first class around here. Isn't that God's business, someone said, is the greatest business, and so let's treat it like that, right? And so praise the Lord for that. These are sharp, and so we'll be following along in those. I am thankful that pastor set aside a couple months to strengthen our belief in why we have different ministries. And by the way, we don't just have ministries, as pastor mentioned, to have ministries. We don't have time for that, Right? But, and I think this is important to get, uh, we understand that to have a certain product, you got to have a certain process. And sometimes people want to come in and they look at the product and they say, I want that product, but they want to try to change the process and think they're going to get the same product. It doesn't work that way. People come into a church, and I had this conversation with Pastor Cowling, actually, uh, preacher. These preachers go off in a different direction as a church and they change the direction of the church and where do they get all their workers from? Our churches. You know why? Because they like this product. Well, you only get this product when you have this process. Yep. And so, by the way, let's not think, man, well, if I could just change this here and tweak this here, and well, then we'll get a different product, right? And so, it's just like when you're making, uh, we, we, we made, for the last week of the program, we made some pho in our class, right? Uh, and then we enjoyed it, had a great time, had a good class. And, uh, but you got to have all the ingredients if it's going to taste a certain way, right? And so, likewise, that's why we're going through this because we have our ministries because we, we love where God's brought us as a church and so these processes are going to lead to the product that we believe will honor Christ and give us what we've had here at our church and we're thankful for it. Tonight we are talking about education ministry and thank God that I get to work to an extent with the education ministries here. Let's get right into it. I do know the time. Generally we're out in about 19 minutes. I'm going to try to stay close to that. I do know we have the, the workers briefing tonight and so I've got 20 slides and we'll try to do uh, pages, slides, I'm, I'm aging myself. Uh, but, so, we'll try to get into it. Let's get right into it. Right into it here tonight. And of course, this could easily be a series, so this is going to be a brief over, uh, overview. Nothing super in-depth. Hopefully it'll be a help, a help here. Fill this in, if you're following along. The wisdom of a church is in its older people. And by the way, I thank God for uh, our older folks, right? There was a time in our church where Miss Leah Burton, we always mess with her about this. She showed up at our church and she said, I'm not coming back uh, because that's a teeny bopper church, right? And it was just a bunch of teenagers. Well, thank God now we have some senior saints. And by the way, the senior saints, we need your life experience. We need your wisdom. And I'm thankful that we have 
more gray hairs in this church. And some of us that used to not have them are starting to get them too, right? And so, and so we need you. By the way, you're important. You, the Bible gives you responsibility to teach the younger. But next, the strength of a church is in its youth. I think it says blank and then people. It's supposed to be youth. You say, what's youth? Not necessarily our teenagers. Though that, that's those that still have kind of that, that energy, that youthful energy. Brother Angel, I think, at the conference said 45 and under, right? Pastor says, no, I still got it. We, he does, right? We all agree. Amen. Yes. All right. But the youth, uh, we need that. But the future of any civilization and any church and, of course, the family is in its children. Yeah. It's in its children. I am so thankful for the emphasis that we have at our church on the next generation. Yeah. And I, if I can say this, we must, we must continue to have this heart and this emphasis if what God has begun here is going to continue decades into the future. We must. Let's get to the passage here. Judges chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. A stark reminder here for God's people. The Bible says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, a servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnatharis, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gash, and also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. There arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of, the, of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. By the way, if you understand what happened here, you're talking about the very next generation after the generation that saw the parting of the Red Sea. And I, I studied this this past week. The Red Sea at its narrowest point is 21 miles narrow. And it's as wide as at 60, 70, 80 miles wide. I'm sorry, deep at one point. It's 200 miles wide. It's 170,000 square miles. When we think of them crossing the Red Sea, we think, oh, you know, a quick 30-minute walk over some small little river. No. Can you imagine one million people crossing for 21 miles with walls of water standing up on either side? Can you imagine that? They saw that. They saw the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. And yet, anywhere between 25 and 55 years later, the very next, not, not multiple generations, the very next generation doesn't know God, but even worse, they're serving the gods of this world. This is a precautionary tale to every church, every family, in every generation. Next. Church history shows us that many Bible-believing, soul-winning, missions-minded, church-planting, and sold-out churches no longer exist in the next generation. I can think of, and I've mentioned it before, the Judson Memorial Church. The Judson Memorial Church. And by the way, Adoniram Judson is on the side of our new building here, right? Yeah. Right. I think, Pastor, it might be right outside of where your office is going to be. You can look out there and see it, or one of the staff offices. Adoniram Judson's son, by the way, the great Baptist missionary to Burma, right? Yeah. He went out. His son came back, Baptist, and decided to start a church in New York named after his father, the Judson Memorial Church. By the way, from what I read, it was a good church. It was a solid church. It had Adonai Judson's name for crying out loud to this day on the side of the church. But today, they have a lesbian pastor. Today, they have abortion counseling. And pastor, they counsel ladies to have the abortion, not to not have the abortion that's the great Baptist missionary, Adoniram Judson's namesake church here in America. You say, it'll never happen here. It could. It could. 
I think of another Baptist church in the South, in Tennessee, at one time, by the way, one of the biggest independent Baptist churches in the entire nation, the entire world, they boasted an attendance, Brother Romero, of 57,000 people on their church membership. They averaged on property, from what they said, 10,000 people every single week, with 4,000 in their Bible college. Just 10 years ago, they sold their property, changed the name of their church, and became some community church running just over, I think, 250, just a couple years later. And I think, Pastor, that was during your time in college when things were happening. One generation, and they're gone. This passage in church history is a tale. Next, uh, to, to, to all of us. And the list could go on. I think you had this in your notes. If we do not, these words are important here, intentionally, passionately, and purposefully, here's the word, educate the next generation in the ways of the Lord, we too can go down in the history books as a church that once was, but that no longer is. And we have been given, we'll see here in a minute, a biblical mandate to educate the next generation. Let's begin, and this is semi-introduction, we'll get into it, and I don't think we'll be long here tonight, by looking at three scriptural reasons for education ministry. First of all, number one, because of the command to teach the next generation. We have been given a biblical command to teach the next generation and raise them in the, in the ways of the Lord. Look here, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 3 through 9, it says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God, this is the parents' generation, with all thine heart, all thy soul, all thy might, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. By the way, if it's going to get to my kid's heart, first it's got to be in my heart. Kids know fake. You say, well, my kid's second grade, third. Well, you might be able to pull the wool over. They get about fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. They know. They know. And let's be real. But first it's got to be in my heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house. By the way, teach them diligently. Sounds a little echoey up here. Maybe it's the way I just fixed this. Thank you. Shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign on thine hand, frontlets between thine eyes. Shall write them upon the posts, thy posts and thy gates. Look at Psalm 78, 4-7. Next one here. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, his strength, his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that's one generation, that they should make them known to their children, that's this generation, that the generation to come might know them, that's the children's generation, even the children which should be born, which should arise and declare them to their children. That's four or five generations right there. Why? Verse 7, that they might set their hope in God, not forget his works, uh, but keep his commandments. We see another one here, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And this is where I want to talk about the educational aspect here. Why is this so important? I don't know. I think you might have some of this. Why is this so important? Why spend the time, the money, the staff, the sacrifice, and the effort to give our children a Christian education? By the way, I know some of, some of our families sacrifice greatly. I, I know some of you that You've, for years, taken your kids out candy selling all summer long just so that they can be in Christian school. By the way, that's very commendable. That's very commendable. Um, because you would rather sacrifice your time when you can be on the golf course and send them to public school because you believe in the importance of rearing them up in the ways of the Lord. Praise God for that. And we have a lot of families like that. Thank you for doing that. But why, <clears throat> why do that? 
excuse me, simply stated, as we saw there in a plethora of other verses, God desires that we educate our children in such a way that, here it is, and this is God's desire, when they are older, they live their lives with a biblical as opposed to a secular worldview. We're going to talk about that in a, little, in a minute here. Next, let me just give this to you quickly. We see that Christian education is a 24-7 endeavor. It must be more than Sunday school. It must be more than a couple family altars per week. Our responsibility as parents, Deuteronomy, and our responsibility as a church, can't develop this, but 2 Timothy 3.16 is talking about Timothy learning in the context of church ministry, training him in the ways of the Lord. Next, uh, and our responsibility is to give the next generation a biblical-based education. Go ahead and fill that in there. A biblical-based education. So number one, we see that there's a command by God to give our children a Bible-based education, to train them up, to diligently teach them in the morning, from the morning to the nighttime. That's what it says next. But number two, because of the caution about the next generation. So first he says, hey, make sure you educate and train up your children in such a way, in such a way that when they're older, they don't forget about me. From the time they're young, from the time they get up until the time they go to bed, not just family altar, not a couple hours on Sunday, we'll talk about that, God willing, but throughout the week and throughout the day, a Christian Bible-based education. Number two, because of the caution about the next generation. So first he said, here's a command. Next we see a caution. What's the caution? Look all the way down there to the bold and underline for sake of time. He says, beware then, lest thou, what's that next word? Oh, talk to me. What's the next word? Forget. He says, beware lest thou forget. When he's not, he's not talking necessarily about that generation. If you look at it in its context, he's talking about the next generation. Beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Let's move here. Scripture warns us that if the next generation is not educated in the ways of the Lord, they may very well forget him and his ways. I want to look at some statistics and quotes here. The statistics show, in the context of today's ministry with young people, the statistics show, other than salvation in a Christian home, the statistics show that probably the primary contributing factor to Christian young people walking away from the faith is the education they receive. It's as simple as that. I'm going to say that again. I, I know it's a midweek service. Maybe it's a little warm in here. Maybe it's just me up here. Uh, the statistics say, and we're going to look at it. There's some pretty intense statistics here that the primary contributing factor to whether or not your child and maybe your grandchild dies and goes to hell because they walked away from God. By the way, that's one of the saddest things. When the children walk away from God, they rear the grandchildren out of church and someone that bears your last name goes to hell because they walked away from God. That's why we're so passionate about the next generation. That's why we're so passionate about we're not going to change because we know what that change leads to. You might get a crowd today, but you lose the children tomorrow. I don't want someone with my last name to die and go to hell because we lost them to the world, the flesh, or to the devil. And probably, the, probably the, according to the statistics, the primary factor that will contribute to whether or not your young people walks away is the education they receive. Next, when a young person receives a public or secular as opposed to a Christian or biblical education, the statistics are Dismal. And let's look at a couple of them here today. It boggles my mind, but 90% of Christians in the United States send their kids to a public school. 90%. It just boggles my mind. 
I mean, just a couple things come to mind, such as let's not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, for starters, right? <laughs> let's not stand in the way of sinners. And if you know what's going on in public school camp- campuses all across the country, it is horrific. I remember my uncle used to preach this stuff, Brother Jim, 20 years ago, Brother Jim, somewhere around here, 20 years ago. It's gotten a lot worse since then. Some of the stuff you see, I'm sure, Pastor, on Twitter and that I see, it is absolutely horrific. The pornographic stuff that they put in kindergarten classrooms. I have not tried to see it, but it's come across my feet, and I've seen it. And it's horrific, horrific kindergarten. And we're going to see some quotes from some teachers, by the way, Arizona and Florida, the bastions of conservatism. Uh, teachers from those states that, that are saying, parents, you, as soon as they cross that public, school class, uh, the, the, that public school property line, you lose all rights to them. And that's what they really believe. That's what they really believe. Uh, but, but 90% of Christian parents send their kids to public school. Next. 80, this is mind-boggling. If this statistic didn't strengthen your resolve for Christian education, I don't know what does. 80% of Christian children who live in a Christian home and attend a Bible-believing church but attend a secular school accept a secular worldview. In recent uh, years, that, uh, that number has went up to 85 to 95%. Next, Pastor Coomer said this. He wrote a book uh, along these lines. 80% of independent Baptist children depart from the faith. Thank God that's not the the fact here at our church, right? Amen for that. Next, Pastor uh, 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 by the name of uh, Vody Bauckham said this, he said 70 to 80% of of Christian young people have nothing to do with spiritual things by the end of their first year in college. And you see a couple other uh, quotes uh, there that we won't talk about. Why is this so? I'll tell you why. Because when it comes to public education, going back to the 1800s, the secular education system, well, let's follow along here. Their premise or their goal was the elimination of religion from the school system. I'd say they've done a pretty good job at that, haven't they? By the way, we're going to look at some quotes from the 1800s and from 1930. This is not anything new. But today, secular education is not just for the elimination of religion in the school system, but they are militantly opposed to a biblical worldview. 1976, in the Humanist magazine, uh, there was a write-up, and and this is what uh, the author said. He said, I think the most important factor moving us toward a secular society has been the education factor. Our school, now listen to this. And by the way, a lot of them can't read. When they come to school, they have to do some catching up, right? A lot of times. But our schools may not teach Johnny to read properly. Whatever happened to math, arithmetic, language, and all that kind of stuff, right? Now it's transgender studies and the whole nine yards. But... Our schools may not teach Johnny to read properly, and that's okay by them, but the fact that he's in school until he's 16, now 18, tends toward the elimination of, look what they say here, of religious superstition. What's that? Bible-believing people. Excuse me. The average American child acquires a high school education, and this militates against, listen to their words here. It militates, it fights against Adam and Eve and other stories of alleged history. Just how pious or impious we are is impossible to say scientifically, although it's certain that religious affiliation is declining. Look at this one. Oh, this is a good one. They believe this. By the way, this was 1980s. The battle for mankind's future must be waged in the public school classroom by teachers who correctly... And by the way, this is, look, listen to the wording here. This is from a secular standpoint. This is, from their, this is their mindset. By teachers who correctly, we would say incorrectly, perceive their role as proselytizers of a new faith. 
These teachers must embody the same selfless dedication as the most rabid fundamental preachers, like pastor and the preachers that preach here. For they will be the ministers of another sort, utilizing a classroom instead of a pulpit to convey humanist values in whatever subject they teach, regardless of education level. Listen here, this is why they're pushing for three years old to get out of your home that quick. Preschool, daycare, or large state university, we don't care. The classroom must and will become an arena of conflict between the old and the new. Listen to what they think about Christianity. The rotting corpse of Christianity and the new faith of humanism. And this was written in 1983, and I would say in a good portion they have succeeded. A Harvard professor said it in 1973, reiterated in 1983. Look at this. He said, every child in America... In every school, uh, every child in America, in every school is mentally ill. Think about that, mental health crisis, right? He said every student that comes to our public schools, they got mental issues. Now, that's bad enough, but listen what the mental issues are. Listen here. What are the mental issues? Because he comes to school with certain allegiances toward our founding fathers. (laughs) He's in tearing down statues and changing history and whatnot, right? toward our elected officials, toward his, okay, he's mentally ill. Listen to this. He's mentally ill toward his, because he has an allegiance to his parents. Toward a belief in a supernatural being. So if they believe this Harvard professor, oh, it's prestigious to send him. I wouldn't send my cat there. I'm dead set against cats. Um, I wouldn't send my dog there. We only have a parrot. That's all I allow. Um, He's mentally ill because he has an allegiance to God himself. That's what it says. Toward the sovereignty of his nation as a separate entity, it's up to all you teachers to make all these sick children well by creating the international children of the future. And I'm going to go through this quickly. Um, And there's plenty of quotes here. A senator from Nebraska, look here. He said, fundamentalist parents have no right to indoctrinate their children in their beliefs. Did you hear that? This is a United States sitting senator a while back. He said, parents do not have the right to indoctrinate their children in their beliefs. By the way, they believe this. And if you send them there, they indoctrinate them accordingly. And and I'm not going to read these for sake of time. I'm watching the time here. All right. I do want us to see this. The secular humanists, the liberal politicians, and the godless influencers understand this. How about us as God-fearing Christians? We must understand it even more. Next, and I'll just show this real quick. In Florida, let's move to Florida. It's conservative. Okay, whatever. Uh, this is a teacher in Florida. I watched the clip. I don't know if you watched the clip, Pastor. I, I watched what she said. This is what she said. She said, your rights as a parent, those rights are gone when your child is in the public school system. I heard her say it when I listened to it myself. Here's another one, another teacher. She said, I can't disagree with this more. By the way, this is talking about par- teachers keeping secrets from the parents. And someone on here said, I don't think teachers and the system should keep secrets from the parents. And this teacher says, I cannot disagree with this more. Look here. So many students are not safe in this nation from their Christo-fascist parents. That's you and me. Next, this is just within the last month or two. Arizona school board member says a district should reject hiring teachers with Christian values because they're not safe. But let's move to Arizona because we can carry a gun. All right, whatever. Uh, Next. So we said, number one, there's a command. Number two, there's a caution. Beware lest we do anything that would hinder our children and cause them to forget God. I'm going to go through this very quickly. The continuation of the next generation. I won't read this for sake of time, but Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20 to 25. 
God tells us that if we educate and we impart the faith to the next generation, look at the underlying part here. It will be for our good always that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Scripture shows us that if we can give our children a biblically-based education, thus instilling them with a biblical worldview, generations to come will continue, be preserved, with God's blessing and for, our, uh, for God's glory. And let me give this to you in just a few minutes we have left. What then are our options? Let me give you the options that we have here, considering the Scripture and the two options that we have. Look, here it is. Number one, letter A, we can educate the child in the ways of the Lord, and he will have a biblical worldview. And if I can say this, I know talking to Brother Chim in the school, myself in the college, pastor as uh, being over about the shepherd over both of them, every teacher, every leader, that is our goal. We want them to view history, to view science, socioeconomic situations from the lens of Scripture itself and to base their, uh, their lives uh, on the authority and the truth of Scripture. Next, you see what a biblical worldview is. Why don't you fill that in real quick there? I'm going to go through this quickly. Number two, do not, we can choose not to educate the child in the ways of the Lord, and they will have a secular worldview. You see that a secular worldview teaches that, okay, listen here. By the way, this was written a long time ago. A secular worldview teaches, teaches that beliefs are a matter of personal preference, not absolute truth. The doctor may have assigned it to you at birth. It's not absolute truth. It's your preference. Truth in the secular worldview comes from reason and not science. By the way, we teach true science. They teach false science, right? Y'all remember in junior high? No, elementary, pastor. They taught us the scientific method. If it could not be reproduced in a lab, it wasn't true science, right? If you can't test it, it's not science, right? Now they say it's science. So, well, it must be science, whatever. Uh, next. Is it any wonder that the vast majority of Christians hold to a secular worldview? Notice the following stats. Let me just give this to you quickly, and then we will conclude in a moment. What then are our options along the last lines? Excuse me. 10% of boomers. I don't call people boomers, but pastors use that a couple times. Are you a boomer? Is that you? Okay. He said, I guess. Fiero, you too? Okay. Um, they're in the 10%. That was the generation, if you remember, where God and prayer was removed from school, right? Around that time. 60s and 70s, right? Okay. Only 10% of them have a biblical worldview. 7% of Gen, Gen X, 6% of millennials, that's me, and barely, and then 4% of Gen Z have a biblical worldview. You can see it in how they vote and how they live and how they talk. And of course, uh, we've talked about that. Now, by the way, unfortunately, it's got into this, the religious realm. Among senior pastors, only 41% hold a biblical worldview. By the way, thank God that we have a pastor that does have a biblical worldview. Only 41%, though, a biblical worldview says, I make decisions, live my life, make my decisions, regardless of what anybody says, through the authority of Scripture. How can four out of ten pastors do that? I don't get that. I don't get that. Next highest was 28% among associate pastors. Brother Jim, myself, Brother Ross. I knew those guys were shady. Next. No, 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 not Brother Ross, because the youth pastors are worse. Look here. Only 12% of children and youth pastors. Well, I'm technically over the children. Dan, Brother Ross, 12% right there. And among teaching pastors, these are the ones that stand up and teach the word of God. It's only 13%. And no wonder our churches, and no wonder our nation is in a mess. All right? Next, we can give them a Christian education where the home, the church, and the school. I really wanted to spend some time on here. This is the goal here. The goal is that the church, the school, and the home are working together, hand in hand, to instill and to educate our children in the ways of the Lord. By the way, we don't compromise on education to teach Bible. They go hand in hand. By the way, they strengthen each other. And, and the Bible says that a threefold cord is not easily broken. And, and we won't spend too much time. Number 
two, or we can give them a public education where the stated goal at both the elementary and the college level is the eradication of the same biblical worldview of, uh, in the child. And let me give you these in conclusion, and I'm going to pray, and we'll get to our briefing with Pastor. In conclusion here, why do we have Christian education? I'm so thankful for the Christian school. I'm thankful for the college and what they offer as we're trying to, uh, to, to educate our children and train them up in the ways of the Lord. Here it is. God commands his people to provide a Christian education, a biblical-based education for their children and raise them up from morning till night in the ways of the Lord. Number two, the very hope for the future of this church and other churches that, is that, we, that we plant in the future rests on the education our children receive. Number three, there's an agenda to strip our children, as we saw, of a biblical worldview that will shape their lives and future generations to come. Number four, there has never been a more difficult time in history of, the, of our nation to rear children for God than in this year. We need all the help we can get. I, I'll take Brother Jim's help. I'll take pastor's help. I'll take every Christian school teacher's help. I'll take the Bible college professor's help uh, with, with my children. And then finally, and I like this one. There was some bad news and some bad quotes, but we have a promise. We have the promise of Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, that if we train a child, educate in the way of the Lord, we can see generations to come honor God for their good and for his glory. And so that's, those are some of the reasons why we have education. I'm so glad that our church, we offer education ministry to our young people. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll turn it back over to the pastor. Lord, thank you so much that um, we have here at our church so many different ministries that minister in so many different ways. And again, Lord, it's for the purpose of seeing it's the good of our people, and it's for your glory. And so that we can see generations to come make a difference and make an impact and have your favor on our church. Thank you for all you do. Be with our night. In Jesus' name, amen.